God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the ability and the freedom to come into a room and worship you, Lord. God, we give you all the glory, all the honor this morning, Lord. Thank you for what you are doing in and through, God, this church and in through the youth this weekend, Lord. We're so grateful. God, we thank you for your son Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, Lord. God, we just thank you that you are our living hope. God, thank you so much for that. We give you all the gratitude. We give you all the worship this morning. We pray this in your mighty son's name, Jesus. Amen. Am I on? Am I good? All right. Good morning. Uh, this is uh, this is quite a treat for me. I have uh, this is the third time that I've been able to join the crossing for D now, uh, and I, I, I have to tell you this is a this is a place that I, I really hold dear in my heart because uh, you guys every time that I've come uh, the leaders are amazing the students respond uh, everything is uh, organized well uh, I've been to some places that's not the case usually and so uh, I just want to say uh, church that you should be very very proud of your students. Um, I've seen places to where there's just, uh, yeah, give them a hand. It is, uh, it's good and refreshing to see because, um, you know, when you preach a message and you put a lot of work and some preparation into it, you're hoping that the spirit moves, but it's all, um, it usually, if the message is prepared well and you put the work into it, it's all on the hearers to respond with the Spirit's leading. And your students respond. Every time that I've come, we have seen spiritual response uh, from the students. And that is because they are, uh, there's a heartbeat, there's a temperature there for what the Spirit is doing in their lives. And so you should be proud of your students and the, the, the future that you have of your church that's going forward. And also, um, I cannot say enough about the organization, the preparation, and the love that I see from Nathan and Hillary towards your kids. Um, they are phenomenal youth leaders. And let me just say, um, and I, I didn't get any extra money or anything like that to say these things, and so I've known Nathan for a long time, and Hillary I've known for about two years now, but they put everything that they have into these things. They are, uh, they are sun up to sun down, uh, and even after that at some times. And so uh, they put a lot of work into it, and it shows and it pays off in the way that your students are respectful, uh, how they care about what's happening scripturally and spiritually in their lives, and also uh, how they just carry themselves as a group. They love each other, and that's not the case everywhere. And so I want you guys to be proud of them. I want you to uh, tell them thank you. Uh, this can be a thankless job sometimes in the ministry. And so you go through it and you, people just expect you to show up and be specialized in about 16 different areas. And so when you see Nathan and Hillary, tell them thank you for dealing with your kids, all right? And so, you know, most of the time you realize the pain that they're going through. And so, you know, that for them to take a weekend and to endure it, so to thank them because that's not their kids. They don't have to, all right? And so... Uh, very lucky to have them, and so I, I hope that you realize that because they are phenomenal. This weekend, we have been going through the book of Jonah, and so if, I, if you could, just go ahead and get your Bibles and turn there uh, this morning. I want to try to catch you up a little bit uh, to where we've been, uh, give a little bit of new insight that the students may not have heard yet, uh, and so we're going to look at the first three verses of chapter one, and then we're going to jump over to what I like to call the problem of chapter four. You see, my uh, goal, and I told the students going in this weekend, that was to wreck their view of what kids' ministry taught them about Jonah. Because what we hear with Jonah is that God called Jonah, Jonah was scared of the Ninevites, so he ran. He got swallowed, he got spit up, and the Ninevites get saved. 
But then there's the problem of chapter 4. Kids ministry completely leaves this one out. Why? Because it's hard to explain. Unless we look at it in the right context that Jonah is written in. So, for a moment, if you could with me this morning, imagine yourself that it's the year 773 B.C. You are an Israelite. And as you have grown up in the nation of Israel, you have been taught to be very nationalistic. You've been taught that you are God's people. But all the while, your northern border has been the uh, terror of the Assyrian Empire. They have made war with you. You've heard horror stories of their raiding and plundering you, heavily taxing you. They have uh, a reputation for cruelness and wickedness. They're immoral pagans. They, uh, end their battles by cutting off limbs and puts them on sticks and puts them outside of their cities to make you fear them. And you've grown up hearing this. And so you ask yourself over and over, God, when will you make waste to these Assyrians? Why do they continue to conquer your people? And at the time of the writing of Jonah, we have the tide turning some to where Israel finally under King Jeroboam, not a godly king, but an ambitious one, is seeing Israel's borders expanding the most that it ever has since King Solomon. Things are going well for Israel. Prosperity is coming back to the people. Assyria, however, the tide has turned for them as well, but in the negative light. Their main ruler who had ruled for so many years has died, which has sent their leadership in an upheaval. And so now the cities have decided to turn against each other. They have no central rule or central leadership. So each city rules itself in a city-state manner. There's been an earthquake that has shattered the economy. Inflation has come on them. Then there's an eclipse. And for the pagan world, this means a lot. It means the gods are angry. Something's going to happen. Famine hits. And all the while in Israel, they're laughing. It's about time. They're getting what they deserve. Those pagans are finally answering for their wicked ways. And that's where we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 1. Because Jonah is the favorable prophet. To King Jeroboam, he comes and he tells him, this is what you should do. And it comes true and it's a favorable. He is an all-star in the court. They love this prophet. Now, if you know anything about your biblical history, most of the prophets are not loved because they bring messages of destruction and pronounce judgment that's going to come if they don't change their ways. But Jonah, he's much different. Jonah instead is the favorable prophet. Because he brings good news and glad tidings. Yet he does not bring that, sorry. I'll just go ahead and pray and we'll be done this morning. So, Oh man, that one's recorded too. Everyone's a TV evangelist nowadays, so I talk too quick for my brain. All right. 
So in chapter 1, look, let's look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah here is an Israelite. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. We'll see him say this later on. You see, his view of Assyria is one that is uh, not so favorable, even racist to the point that he is ready for them to be destroyed. But God calls him to go to who he would consider unlovable. And this morning, I want to challenge you because I believe that this is written not for unbelievers, but for you and I, churchgoers, because it is the magnifying glass to the soul. It shows us the ugly within, because Jonah is the prophet of the Lord. He has all of the knowledge and all of the background. He knows the five, first five books of the Bible. He's highly educated and knows lots of information about God. But when he is called to do God's will, he runs. Why? Because he views them, views the Assyrians, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria even, he views them as unlovable. I want to ask you this morning, who are the unlovables in your life? That if God asked you to go to these specific people, that you would have an issue with it. Because that's where we find Jonah. Jonah doesn't run from the Ninevites out of fear. Jonah runs from the Ninevites because he hates them. He wants to see their destruction. You see, God is calling him to give them a warning. Why do you give someone a warning? To warn them. To give them a chance to turn. Uh, we went to Disney World a couple of years back. And those of you that have made the Disney World trip, you know that the mouse likes his money. It's an expensive trip. So we have three children. And so the trip itself is already expensive. And so we told them, listen, you know that Disney World is coming. So every birthday, every chore that you get paid for, everything, you better save your money because I'm not buying any souvenirs. I've already bought the park tickets and I got to pay for your food legally, all right? And so they start to save up. They start to, you know, Pops comes in and gives them $100. They all, all the grandparents start handing them money because they know they're going to Disney World and things like that. And um, we get there and I tell them, listen, you better save your money because we're going to be here for five days. And we go into the first hotel, and they have a gift shop in every single one. And my daughter, so of the three children, my daughter's the oldest. She's the free spirit spender. And so she's the one we're really worried about. And she's got the most money. She's got like $270 that she's going to Disney World with. She's been saving for a while. My son, he's the methodical spender, so we're thinking we're going to have to make him spend money by the end of it. And then there's the baby, and life's just good for him. He just doesn't care. And so we go in, and uh, we start to tell them, listen, make sure that you save your money. You got to make it last. You got to make it last. You know what I found out is that my children have a much harder time spending their money than my money. <laughs> we get to day four, and they hadn't spent hardly anything to the point that we're walking into gift shops saying, please buy this, please buy this. And finally, I make, a, I make a warning. 
if you don't spend every cent that you brought with you, you're reimbursing me for whatever you have left for this trip. You will go home with a bag full of souvenirs. And by gosh, they got it done. But the warning was, if you don't do this, these are the consequences. He's telling Jonah, go and tell these people that if they do not turn from their wicked ways, this is the consequence that's coming on them. I have seen their wickedness, and I'm about to judge it. So Jonah, you as the prophet, go to the pagan nation and tell them that they stand in judgment and that in 40 days they'll be overthrown. Jonah knows the character of God because of what he's learned. And so how does he keep this situation from coming to fruition? He runs. If I take myself out of the equation, they'll be destroyed. There's no saving them then, so he jumps on a boat. And so what we've learned and looked at through this weekend is that Jonah jumps on a boat. It says that he paid the fare. He was called to the unlovables, and Jonah makes an unloving investment. You know, I did some research, and to pay the fare, it really is, a lot of people think that he actually funded the entire trip. He didn't just buy a ticket and jump on a boat, but instead he paid for the voyage. A major investment to go the other way. How much do you have to hate someone to make an investment not to reach out to them? And he picks Tarshish, which in this context is the most Western known part of the world at the time. It's what they would have believed is the end of the earth. The trip, we talked about it here on a Friday night, is the difference is that if he went, went from Joppa to Nineveh, it's about a 500-mile trip. So if you leave Alito, Texas today, you end up in about New Orleans, Louisiana. His decision to go the opposite way was the equivalent of leaving Alito today and ending up in Juneau, Alaska. That's how badly he wanted to get away from the call of the Lord. And so he gets on a boat, and God throws a storm at him. He just tells them to throw me off the boat. And God throws a fish at him. And then we look at that in the belly of the well, a lot of times we say he prays and then God lets him out because he's repented. And we looked at how that looks like counterfeit repentance from Jonah. There's 25 uses of me, my, or I. He says, God, look at what you've done to me and look what I've done for you while he's in the belly of the fish. The only sin that Jonah points out while he's in the belly of the fish is someone else's sin in verse 8 of chapter 2. And it says that he finally says, Lord, I'll do what I vowed to do. I will do what the action is that you want, but my heart will not be the same. He does not get on the same page as God, but he agrees to do what God told him to do. And so the fish vomits him out. And he goes to Nineveh. He gets to Nineveh. He starts walking down the streets and he says, 40 days and you'll all be destroyed. What a salvation message. Walking down the street, turning the street corner, 40 days and you're all done. 40 days and you're out of my life. 40 days, there's no way you're turning from your wickedness. And all of a sudden, he turns a corner and they're sitting in sackcloth and in ashes and crying about their wickedness and their sin. He sees the king and the king comes off of his throne and he says, everyone turn from your wicked ways. He makes a decree and he says, maybe, Maybe the Lord will turn from his fierce anger. Does what is right without the guarantee of salvation. He shows the heart that Jonah was not showing. And I have, uh, I have the idea that Nineveh looked something like this. I want to show you a short video. Oh, happy day, oh, 
That's what Nineveh was like that day. And, I, and just if you're just tuning in with us, we've hit the trifecta. We've we said nudies, we've had whoopee, and Catholics. So we're, we're nailing it down this morning uh, for church. So um, <laughs> I think it just goes to show that uh, we are sinners saved by grace this morning, just like the Ninevites. And so they make a dramatic turn, and the only one who's not happy about it is Jonah. You see, in Scripture, Jonah is the most successful prophet based on conversion rate. And he's the only one angry about them turning. Look in chapter 4. This is the problem of chapter 4. This is why when you look at chapter 2, I believe it's a counterfeit repentance and just agreeing to do the action that he's been called to do rather than having the heart aligned with God. In chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. He has all the information about who God is. But you see, when your heart is not on the same page as God, you make illogical Responses. 
It brings the hardened heart to the surface. You see, what happens, what we're going to find out is that God's actions and God's ways are not our ways. And when we decide to get on his page, a lot of times it's not going to look the same as what you and I would have drawn out. And God has the Ninevites turn. And what does Jonah do? He gets angry. His hard heart comes to the surface. These are his unlovables. These people don't deserve to be saved. Look at what they've done. They've used their entire lives to be immoral and wicked against you, God. Is this not what I told you was going to happen? Because I know that you have steadfast love and I know that you're gracious and that you're merciful. You see, Jonah had lost sight on the mercy and the grace that it took to get him as well. And instead, he points the finger and says, how could you do this? He names God's actions as evil. Lord, this is why I made haste to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a good and gracious God. Whoever uses those in a negative sense, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Praise God. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah displays his knowledge of God. But his heart is not in the same place as God. There's a, a lady that, uh, that became rich in the Gilded Age. Her name was Hetty Green. And she had accumulated some wealth from some inheritance and that she invested well. And she turned, uh, at the time, was about $1 billion, which in today's money would be about $27 billion. But you see, that's not what she's known for. She's actually known for her frugality and how much she saved. She actually would uh, buy a 10-cent broom, and to the point when it was wore out, she would take it back to the store. And it actually came to a point at one point in time that her son Ned broke his leg and she tried to dress up like paupers and beggars to get into the free clinic to the point that uh, it got infected and later had to be amputated because they kicked her out of the free clinic. You see, it looks a lot like Jonah because she has this money, but she's forgotten what it's for. And Jonah has all of this head knowledge and all of these views of who God is and claims to be God's people, but he forgets the work that God does. He's in the business of redeeming people and bringing them back to him, and he's actually trying to use Jonah as an instrument to do this, and Jonah says no. I don't want to do that. I don't want to save these people. I don't want to be an instrument in this game that you're trying to play. I don't want to see their salvation. I want to see their destruction because their destruction means better for Israel. When nationalism takes front and center stage, along with his racism, as we saw in chapter 1, Jonah's allowing these to control his view of God rather than seeing God for who he truly is. Our country is plagued with it. If the other side would just go away then the country would be better. But is that what God is calling us to this morning? Or is he calling to say, hey, you go with my grace, you go with my mercy, you reach out because 
I'm about people, not politics. God goes after the rebel. And Jonah is not about Jonah at all. This book is about the relentless pursuit of the rebellious prophet. The Ninevites getting saved, the sailors getting saved, the fish, they're just simply byproducts in the story. The story as a whole from chapter 1 through chapter 4 is the relentless pursuit of God's love and grace towards a rebellious prophet who should have just been ended. Who said, no God, I'm not going to do your will and tries everything in his power to run from it. And then even when God's will is carried out, he is angry about it. And thank God for this this morning, that you and I have been pursued. We are the rebellious prophet this morning. We are the ones that were knee deep in our sin and we liked it. We revolted against God and his goodness and he still came after us in spite of us. You know, Jonah just simply gets frustrated. Let's, uh, he ignores God's question, do you do well to be angry? And notice what he does next. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he uh, should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over him. Now I want you to notice Jonah's follow-up action here. So God says, do you do well to be angry? And he ignores the question. He builds a bad shed and he puts it over him. And you know what he's doing? Is he's found a hilltop to watch Nineveh and wait for the moment in time that they're going to slip up, turn back to their evil ways, and God's going to follow through on the disaster that he said would come. How much do you have to hate someone to have malice over their situation to want to see them fail? to fall back into wickedness. And Jonah, however, sets up shop and waits. And while he's there, it's not a good shed. He's in the Middle East. It's hot. God causes a plant to come over. See, God chases after the rebel. God has three divine appointments for Jonah. He doesn't leave him alone. Even though Jonah, in his arrogance and his frustration and his anger, wants to ignore God completely. And he tries to walk away, but God won't let him go. That's good news for us this morning, by the way. God won't allow him to get away from him. And he says that God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm and then attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. The frustration is boiling over. I can remember a Christmas that my sibling, I have two siblings that will not be named to protect the innocent and the guilty. And one Christmas, one of my siblings and I, we asked for bikes. We wanted a bike. We had some land to ride around on and the other sibling asked for some kind of computer journal thing. Christmas rolls around, we got our bikes and they got their journal thing. And what does uh, myself and the other sibling do? We jump on our bikes and we ride around. And the other stuck inside with exactly what they wanted, 
angry. You got what you wanted for Christmas. Why are you angry? Do you do well to be angry? It doesn't make sense. This is what you asked for. And God's telling Jonah, do you do well to be angry over the plant? First it was, do you do well to be angry that this has happened to the Ninevites? Now do you do well to be angry over the plant? And Jonah's frustration boils over and he says, yes. And I'm so angry, I'd love to just die right now. Think of this. He is in a world that the Ninevites have been saved, and because of that, he wants to be done. He wants to die off. He says, a world without them is better than a world with me in it with them. Jonah's got his things messed up. Even in our rebellion, the Lord continues to deal with us. At what point in time in the story would you have not blamed God just to turn his back on the prophet? Let me ask you this, what point in time in your story would you have not blamed God just to turn his back on you? And you sitting here this morning is living proof that he did not. That he continued to pursue you and continued to go after you. This is a God to be thankful for this morning that he goes after the rebel. I, uh, I made one really bad purchase in my life. In 2005, I bought a Kia Rio. Anybody else buy a Kia Rio? And yeah, I feel you, all right? This car was trouble from day one. And at some point in time, maybe it was the driver too, I hit a curb or something, and I put it out of alignment. But the Kia Rio doesn't just get out of alignment. It gets way out of alignment to the point that if I didn't grab the steering wheel, it was going left immediately. And to the point where if I had the wheel straight, I could feel the car shaking because the wheels just didn't want to turn that way. It was out of alignment. And so it did not function properly. This morning, if we are out of alignment with what God wants for our lives, we do not function properly this morning. You see, God with Jonah is calling for alignment. It's not about what you want, Jonah, or what you think is best for the country, or you think is what's best for uh, your job as a prophet for Israel, but it's what I want and what I've called on your life. And so God has specifically this morning put a calling on our lives to serve in a certain way, to live in a certain way, and to be out of alignment is not to function properly. And so this morning, I want to call you to alignment with God because that is what God calls for this morning. The Pharisees were doing everything properly in the eyes of the people. They were the most separated ones, but when Christ comes on the scene, he says, listen, my will is not the same as what you're trying to do. You need to align with me. That becomes the big problem between the Pharisees and Christ during his time on earth because they're not aligning with what God actually wants. And so this morning, I want to call you to align yourselves with what God wants because he is calling for alignment from each and every one of us. Notice here the dagger that chapter 4 ends with, starting in verse 10. It says, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people? who do not know their right hand from their left, and also so much cattle? I have to say, this is the weirdest way to end a book. 
it leaves a cliffhanger for us, and we're trying to figure out what do we do with this? But you see what it is? It's a dagger to Jonah. I believe that Jonah is the author. And I think when we read through this, we see that Jonah is such a main character and a main player in it that we forget that he's probably the author too, putting himself in a bad light, writing down, and the whole time cringing when he's putting the words on the page and saying, how ridiculous was I? And the dagger at the end is God says, listen, you didn't do anything for the plan, the possessions, the things that make you feel good or the things that were added to your life, but yet you don't have compassion for the people that I want to save. He calls for alignment from Jonah this morning. And I think it leaves us off with the same question. Do you align with God this morning for what he's really calling you to, or do you simply continue to do the things that you want to. Jonah here has the plant, the plant goes away. And he's angry about the plant. And God said, you did nothing for the plant. But the people I created, I molded, they bear my image. Should I not pity them as well? I actually had a hand in them, just like I did you, Jonah. And this morning, I wanna call you and your family to align with the call that God has put on your life this morning. As parents, as grandparents, as students, wives, husbands, siblings, children, God has called you to respond to his will this morning. I want to end with this, uh, this story. In uh, 1976, there's a British astronomer named Patrick Moore. And he comes over BBC Radio and he announces to his listeners Listen, today at 9.47, there's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime astronomical event occurring. He says that uh, you can experience it in your own homes. See what he tells all of his listeners. And he says the planet Pluto is going to pass behind Jupiter, causing a gravitational uh, alignment that would counteract and lessen Earth's own gravity. Okay. And so he says that if you jump in the air at the exact moment of this planetary alignment, you'll feel this floating sensation in your homes. Well, when 947 arrived, BBC Radio was flooded with calls of people saying that they experienced this phenomena. One lady even called that her and her 11 children's chairs floated up and went around the room. The date was April 1st, 1976. April Fool's Day. You see, this morning, we can be so convinced of what we want and that we're in God's will that we force the hand and all the while we miss the reality of what God's calling us to. Crossing, you have such an impact and it's evident every time I'm here. I don't want you to be out of alignment this morning. I want you to commit to being aligned with what God wants to lead your families in what God wants. And so as the band comes up and we go into this final time, I'm gonna ask Pastor Lee, if you would, if you'll come lead your church in this time of response. And I wanna challenge you guys. Fill this altar to pray over your families and to align yourselves with what God is calling you for this morning. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Fine job, fine job. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? decision to be made. The decision could be to receive Christ, to receive Christ for salvation. The Holy Spirit's been working on you. He's been talking with you for you teenagers. He's been dealing with you 
all weekend long. And you feel it in your heart. You feel it inside your skin. You feel it in your spirit, your little spirit. You feel it. And for many of you, it's like a tug. It's just like something is taking place in you that you can't necessarily describe, but there's a tug going on inside of you right now. The Lord is saying, Jesus is alive. Jesus loves you. Jesus is still at work doing miracles today. And you feel it. For some of you, it's an overwhelming conviction of sin. You've been feeling that for quite some time. You can't get away from it. You're like David is saying, your sin is always before me. I mean, it's just at work in you. You just feel it inside. There, there's a remorse. There's a sorrow. There's a regret. There's just a, 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 there's just a lack of peace in you. There's anxiety. There's restlessness. And it's all a result of the conviction of the Holy Spirit working on you. For some people with a conviction, they have physical ailments. Others, mental ailments. Others, emotional ailments taking place, perhaps for some, all at one time. And it's just the overwhelming understanding that everything is not good between you and our Lord. And you're under conviction today of the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's job, to convict us of righteousness, to convict us of judgment, and to convict us of sin. And you've been carrying away around for a long time, and it's a burden, it's a weight. We know that because when we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sin, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's like you got a 100-pound feedback, feed sack on your neck, on your shoulders, and all of a sudden, you've been walking around with it for days. Can you imagine having a 100-pound feed sack on your shoulders, and, and, and you take a shower with it, you sleep with it on you, 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 you walk out to the car and you take it to school with you. That 100-pound feed sack is always on you, and it's exhausting you. Sin exhausts. You, you can't run as fast. Sin slows us down. You, you just, you're irritable. Sin makes us irritable. Relationships begin to suffer because you're so overwhelmed with the weight of this sin. This feed sack is on you, and you just can't get away from it. But when you confess that you have sinned against God, that you have been disobedient, just like Jonah, the grace of our Lord Jesus in the, in the sweetness of his spirit and the miracle of forgiveness, it, it's like all of a sudden that 100-pound feed sack has just been removed from you. You can have that this morning. Can you imagine if you've gone a month carrying 100 pounds around on your shoulders and then it is gone? Oh, how that would feel. That's what happens when we agree with the Lord about our sin and we confess that we have sinned and we say, yes, Lord, I am wrong. Yes, Lord, I have failed. Yes, Lord, I've been disobedient. Yes, Lord, I hear your voice. I know what you've been saying to me, and, and I'm, I'm wrong. And, and when you confess your sin, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us of all our sin, and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You believer, know Christ, have a relationship with him, but your fellowship has really, really struggled with the Lord because of sin because of disobedience. And today, the Holy Spirit is at work saying, return to me. Return to me. 
Return to your first love. You remember how it used to be when you walked with me in, in, in a pure way, in a pure heart, unfettered, nothing in the way. Remember how sweet those days were. The Holy Spirit is at work saying, return. Confess and return. Repent is what, re what re return means. So for salvation, the altar is open for you to come. You guys, the Holy Spirit's been talking to you all weekend long. He's been saying to you, this is the time of decision. This is a time to mean business. I want you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. You've been struggling. You've been having difficulties. been lots of burdens. There's lots of stresses on you. And it's time to come home. It's time to have the burden removed. Jesus is alive and he loves you. And he still works miracles today. Maybe you've been outside of that. And that offering today to you is to come to him. Will you just come to him? Your counselors will come and grab you and pray with you and talk with you and help you through that. So for salvation, come this morning. To renew your faith in Christ, come this morning. Kneel, get right with him. Come before the presence of our Lord today at the altar to demonstrate to him your love for him, your return to him. He is your Lord, and you will live for him. Father, I pray your will be done. I pray, Lord, that this time of decision, decisions will be made. And Lord, we will not be we will not be, Father, neglectful of what your Spirit is saying to us today. Help us, Lord, to make the right choice, the right decision. We know your way is always right, and your way is always best for us. We know that, Lord. We know in our mind now, help us to just join that with our heart and our will in obedience today. Tarshish, disobedience. Nineveh, obedience. What is your decision today? May the Lord work. Let's stand and let's sing together. And if the Lord has laid on your heart to come and make your decision, come at this time. Adults, you may know nothing about disciple now, but the Holy Spirit's touched your heart this morning. You come as well. Let us sing.